The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and today I'm so excited to have David Hess, the president of Tress Capital, as my guest on the Cannabis Business Coach podcast. David, you've been investing in the industry for many years now, and I'm excited to pick your brain and, and share your insights, and thank you for being here. If you don't mind, would you uh, get, introduce yourself to to the folks watching and listening? Sure, Mike, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is David Hess. I am the co-founder and president of Trust Capital. Uh, Trust Capital is a boutique investment firm located in uh, New York City. And we invest uh, strictly in the cannabis space for and manage investments for ourselves, for high net worth individuals, some family offices, uh, and some small institutional capital as well. Um, Again, strictly in the cannabis space, we're opportunistic. Uh, we've got investments um, in pretty much, I wouldn't say every sector, but most, most sectors and subsectors across the industry. And uh, that, that's uh, a little bit about Tress. Amazing, awesome. And David, tell, me, tell us how did you decide or why did you decide to enter the legal cannabis industry? So that is a great question. Um, all right, so I don't know if, if many of your listeners know, uh, but, but I'm, sure, I'm sure some do. I'm originally from LA, and we legalized cannabis back in 96. In fact, as a senior in high school, right, I, I graduated in, in 95, 96, uh, was, was my senior year. And so what other, what cooler job would there be other than going to get signatures for Prop 215? It was 50 cents, 50 cents a signature, but come on, nothing cooler than telling your friends that's what you do, right? And, and making some extra money that way. So, um, and then lo and behold, it passed, right? Um, and so medical cannabis for me wasn't um, foreign, you know, um, the way it is to some today, um, but the passion itself really stems from my experience with uh, cancer. Uh, I'm in New York now uh, because uh, in 2000, uh, I was diagnosed with synovial sarcoma. And then I was diagnosed again shortly within a two-year period, just before the two-year anniversary uh, with a local recurrence. Um, and both times I was in Sloan Kettering uh, pretty much because they were the only ones that were giving me a shot at living. Most oncologists uh, that we found were, were all were essentially saying, we're going to make you comfortable, giving me places for hospice, essentially. And I said, um, you know, let, let's keep looking. We found, uh, we found a couple of oncologists at Sloan Kettering. Believe it or not, there were quite a few at Sloan Kettering that were saying the same thing. Um, but there were a few. Luckily, um, I got to them, and uh, here I am. Now, the way the story goes is my second time around, right? I was in really bad shape. And it got to the point where I was an inpatient for the better portion of a year. Maybe I would be home for three or four days out of the, out of the month. I'd become neutropenic and end up back in the hospital. And so it, it, it was really, really intense. 
And for the first round or two, it uh, wasn't a big deal in terms of medicating with cannabis. Uh, friends would come by, family would come by. And again, this, this wasn't taboo for me or my family, right? Uh, in fact, I had family members that were bringing cannabis uh, for me. I couldn't get it on my own. And so um, there I was standing outside of Sloan Kettering with my pole and you know, no one's saying anything to me, right? Um, it got to the point though where I couldn't get out of bed. So I'm literally you know, going through these rounds of chemo and people would come by and let's go outside, let's go downstairs. I would try and I, I physically couldn't make it out of bed. And I looked at my oncologist one day and I said, I'm done. You know, I said, you know, when you told me that this chemo was likely going to kill me before the cancer would, I thought, you know, all right, I'm going to sign my name to that because I have to, but there's no way you're actually going to kill me, right? Now I believe you and it feels more like suicide. So I don't want to have any part of this. And um, someone handed me an article from, I think it was Time Magazine. Again, it's like back in 2002 um, on Marinol. And I said to the oncologist, I said, and almost defiantly, I said, I like flung it at him. I said, here, I said, write me a prescription for Marinol and I'll stay. And uh, he looks at it and he says, you know, we, we haven't prescribed Marinol yet, but it's not going to hurt you. So we're, we're going to go ahead and do that for you. So, all right. And, you know, they didn't have it at the, at the pharmacy in-house at Sloan. They had to go out and find it uh, in Manhattan. One pharmacy had it and they brought it back. And within an hour, I remember clearly I was going for an MRI and I'm telling jokes and I'm having a great time. It was best way to compare it for me was like a really good edible. And, you know, I understand now, um, learning more and more about Marinol and hearing stories that the efficacy isn't quite there for everybody, but luckily it was there for me. And um, it, it was just, a, like I said, a really good edible. And I would be calling my friends and, and, and it was Monday, right? And, 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 and I would say, it's Monday night, it's football, bring, you know, bring the wings. And they would say, bring the wings? Monday night football, what are you talking about? I visited you yesterday and you had like blood coming out of your ears and you were like, pale as a ghost and you, you know you look like you were on your deathbed and i said well nothing's changed i you know just my attitude has changed you know and so um and my and my appetite right and so they came around and you know the issue really became you know i was on a pediatric floor because i uh, i was diagnosed with synovial sarcoma and it usually presents itself in adolescence and so there i was as a 22 year old uh, on a pediatric floor and at Sloan Kettering, um, it's not a private room uh, unless it really, really needs to be, uh, which at times I was, but for the most part, uh, I had a roommate and my roommates were five-year-olds, six-year-olds, and like I kind of get choked up every time I think about it, um, and plural roommates because they wouldn't stick around too long. And it wasn't because they were going home. They were going someplace else. And at night, it was, um, it, it was, it was horrible, right? I mean, kids were crying and, you know, there I was watching, you know, football or watching movie and, and, and having munchies and, and feeling like myself. And, and here they were suffering. And I said to myself, can I just slip them one of my Marinols? You know, when they come in next time, maybe I won't take it and give one to, to, to my buddy over here. Or, you know, does it work for children? Um, why does it work? Why am I feeling this way? And by nature, I'm a very curious person and so from that point forward you know i wanted to learn everything i could about cannabis um again 
coming from Los Angeles, being, you know, a part of, uh, you know, a small part of, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, some signatures for Prop 215 to get it passed. I mean, I understood what medical cannabis was. Um, I had family and friends um, that were actually growing and, 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 you know, cultivating and, and uh, distributing cannabis under the new California, the laws. Um, and so I understood, um, again, what, medical cannabis what the term meant but to me it was sort of like a joke we weren't you know no one was growing it any differently there weren't any specific strains no one really knew much uh you know certainly no one strain was given for one specific symptom and that just wasn't happening back then right we were just growing and not getting arrested for it if you if you were lucky right um so you know i wanted to to understand is there really medical value here i was a patient feeling better. Now, again, I wasn't cured, but I was feeling better and it enabled me to continue my chemo. And so, um, I started reaching out, you know, as soon as I got better, I started reaching out to, uh, people like Ethan Russo, you know, and, uh, he was awesome picking up the phone, you know, it's, it's, uh, and believe it or not, emailing Rafael Mishulam and, and, and really getting answers in early 2000s, um, and understanding there was an endocannabinoid system and it wasn't just cannabinoids that were terpenes and, 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 and other molecules in the plant that were providing benefit. Um, and so to me, going forward, I wanted to really, you know, provide an, a credibility for the plant and legitimacy in any way I could. Um, now, you know, so that's, that's really, I guess the moment, you know, to answer that question, a little bit of a winded answer, but to answer the question, it's, it's, you know, that's really what, you know, the moment I decided I'm really going to devote myself, you know, to, to, to cannabis plant really. And, and, um, and, and everything that goes into that uh, on the investing side, that didn't happen really until closer to like 2010, 2011. So at that time um, I had, you know, I, you know, I'd gotten better, uh, staying in New York, still in New York, uh, you know, because I had to go back and still have to go back periodically to Sloan to, to get checked. Um, but, um, I ended up manufacturing reflective safety apparel. We were doing that for pets, uh, at first and joggers. So if you're walking your dog, um, you know, your dog could have a reflective collar or you could have something reflective on you. So you don't get hit by, you know, by a car early in the morning or late at night. Uh, or, you know, God forbid, if your dog, you know, were to get loose, um, you know, your dog doesn't get hit because your dog is short, uh, whatever it may be. And then suddenly I'm getting orders like FOB, some, some base out in like Kandahar. And I'm like, huh, are they walking their dog out there? Are there, are there, you know, and then I start Googling and I see that everybody um, in every branch of the military has to have these reflective belts that I was selling. They were, they were just called reflective PT belts. And uh, I just changed the packaging. You know, I was selling them for considerably less uh, than most others. And um, yes, yeah, so I was doing that for a little while. And then in 2010, like I said, uh, six licenses, as you're, I think, aware of, were awarded to, uh, you know, to, in New Jersey. And there I was in New York. So the grower for, for that project, um, calls me one day and says, you know, they're having some, some trouble bringing in the funds and bringing in the expertise. And 
I, I know that that's something that you could probably do pretty quickly. And so, you know, and he'd been hearing me for years, right, talking about, you know, legitimacy, legitimacy of cannabis and wanting to do it right, and also knew what was going back in, you know, what I was doing in LA and, you know, in California and, you know, Northern California and Southern California, and it's kind of, again, grayish. Um, and, and again, I was always talking about one day there was going to be this, you know, legitimate cannabis industry. And he basically said, here's your chance. And so I brought in uh, uh, a friend that, uh, that had the, the right background for that project. And I mean, it was in New Jersey. It was you know, under the noses of pharmaceutical and, and biotech industry. And we weren't going to put up a cultivation that you know, looked like a basement grow, right? As a lot of those grows were, were looking early on, you know, early on in this new cannabis era, right? We wanted it to look um, more automated, more you know, more professional, more medically you know, facing, and so that's what we did. And you know, spent probably quite a bit too much money on that. Uh, but that was you know, once that was done, we I had a bunch of friends come out of the woodwork and say, "Why didn't you tap me for that project?" You know, for funding at least. I said, "Don't worry, there are." you know, plenty of other projects going on outside of New Jersey. Um, I will go ahead and, and find those for you. And that's what set me off. And luckily, you know, because my network at that point was in California. And it's a very small network in Colorado, um, but it was primarily in, in California. And so luckily for me at that point, that's when these conferences were just starting, like NCIA, like just starting. And so, you know, joined you know, and became a member of whatever, you know, whatever association was, was starting up that, that month or that year, um, and would go to as many conferences as I, as I could, and really grew with the nucleus of the industry. I remember when MJ Biz, I mean, these, 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 they had like a couple hundred people, you know, like a few tables with tablecloths and people putting their wares out and, and some, some pamphlets about what their company's all about, you know nothing like it looks like today and uh yeah just just kind of grew with uh with the industry and once i started collecting uh deals and, and i say that because you know my partner asher laughs a lot and you know and says at the beginning he used to call me like the bottleneck really because what happened was is i like i, I had started i had all these friends uh, that want and and, and business associates that wanted to, to invest in cannabis. And so the money was on the sidelines and waiting. And I was going and kicking tires and, and seeing all these opportunities. Primarily at, at that point, they were cultivations. But again, I, I knew a lot about, about uh, cultivations. So um, it, it, it was nice to go and diligence those. And, and I had a clear understanding of, of what I was seeing. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was is... As, as you've heard, I don't have a background in finance. And I was getting concerned that, okay, if I was putting up my capital or you know, one buddy, two friends, we were putting up some capital for something uh, very different than if I was gonna start really, really taking in uh, considerable amounts of investment dollars from you know, a larger network of people um, and then you know, I, I really wanted it to look like any other investment firm on Wall Street 
for any other sector. That was kind of like my idea back then. And so uh, fortunate for me, um, uh, we had, I have a, actually it was two friends that recommended I, I speak with uh, Asher. And um, he's somebody that was on Wall Street for a little over a decade at the time, um, investing a lot of his own money uh, in, in, in in private equity at the time. And I said to him, you know, would you want to start this with me? And uh, he's somebody that, you know, is an impact investor and, and by nature wants to do well by doing good. And so, yeah, he, he joined me and, and this was right around 2013. So I had a, a couple of years uh, before it was Tress. Uh, it was actually Lincoln, Lincoln Health Group for a minute. Um, I just figured Abraham Lincoln, no one's going to have a problem with that and health, right? Uh, that's why, I mean, again, this was like in the early days. I wasn't going to call it Canna anything, you know. Um, I wanted to, you know, have bank accounts. And so, you know, that's that's what I called it. But yeah, so we, you know, once Asher came in, uh, Asher Trophy is his last name and my last name being Hess. We joined them and, and formed Tress in in 2000 and uh so it's not trees some people call it trees but it's tress um in in 2013 and at that point i again i had already been going to a bunch of the conferences building up the network and so i had relationships with for example uh the guys at that time when they were from leafly and they were just getting ready to start their new venture called headset they had sold to privateer and they needed you know to wait until they were able to go ahead and and, and do that and then um you know so once once they were able to we wanted to to be a part of that and we've been part of the rounds you know subsequent rounds since then um and you know it wasn't it wasn't the thesis at that point to start investing in tech or ancillary per se it was more you know, infrastructure and what we were calling really the legs of the industry. Um, I wanted to ensure that if we were going to put money into deals, you know, granted, I felt that, all right, if we put it into, you know, 10 different cultivations, there's a strong likelihood that we'd see a return. But how would that advance the industry as a whole? Um, and so early on, I just didn't feel, it didn't feel right, if that makes sense. And so for me, I wanted to establish something more, something stronger, uh, something more stable that could help the industry. And that if the industry would succeed, so would the, uh, so would the operation. And we invested in companies, for example, like SC Labs early on. Um, why? I, again, going back to, to my years, uh, manufacturing reflective safety apparel, I was selling to places like Walmart, for example, uh, and Walmart wouldn't allow anything through their doors without first being, you know, third-party tested. And we had quite a few people uh, in the network that wanted to invest, and, and they're from the diamond industry. Same thing, right? A diamond. What makes one diamond, you know, worth you know a million dollars, and the other is worth you know ten thousand dollars? Not much to the naked eye, right? Um, you really need uh, to send it to a third-party lab in order to to really get that assurance that that's that's the value and that's what's that's what's there. How do you know it's real and not a machine-made diamond burr? You know, for example. And so um, I, we we invested early on in in what we felt would was was the strongest testing lab in the space. 
Um, and again, through the network that I had built over the years, uh, SC Labs is, has been testing cannabis way before the laws demanded in 2018 in California. I mean, the, you know, they were the number one testing facility uh, you know, out in California um, when it was you know, really just consumer driven, right? And they had a reputation for not, I mean, there were a couple of labs, but you know, some of the other labs were sort of pay to play and they had built their reputation on, we're not gonna do that, but what we will do is help you figure out why it failed and let's bring it back and let's, let's get it going. No, you know, a lot of times people weren't failing on purpose, right? There's a whole variety of reasons why people are failing. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's not even because of what they're doing, right? It could be that the clone that they had originally started from, right, was not a great clone. Um, and so it was really helping them understand why they failed and, and how to do better, which we really liked. Um, and we invested in companies like Baker, which is now part of Tilt, uh, again, right when they were, you know, I mean, they're still pretty young guys, but, you know, just a couple of, you know, wide-eyed young guys coming out of New Jersey to, 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 uh, to Colorado to, to put together um, what at that point started as like the sales force of, of, of the cannabis industry. And again, same thing, right? Anything that had to do at that point with data, we understood that, you know, if Johnson & Johnson, Coca-Cola, anybody wants to put out a new product, they don't do it based on a gut feeling that, you know, someone at the C-level has, right? Or anyone else has, it's based on data. Right. And so we knew that that was going to happen sooner or later uh, in the industry. And certainly um, we were validated when Nielsen themselves uh, made an investment into into uh, into uh, headset. Right. And so, um, yeah, just really about, you know, furthering the credibility of the plant and making it more approachable for people. Um, and so we've got an investment, for example, in a company, Infusion Biosciences, that um, their extraction IP actually creates a water-soluble product without any emulsification, without any um, uh, without um, uh, any nano, you know, technology involved. I mean, it is 100% um, water-soluble from the get-go and strain-specific, right? And so that for me was, was revolutionary and a game changer when I saw it again, because it became approachable, whether you're, you're consuming for recreational purposes um, and, or, or you've got a migraine, right? In either, in either scenario, you're not looking to, you know, you're not looking to medicate or, or use a product in order to, to feel it an hour or two later and then not know when that feeling good or bad was going to subside an edible right wasn't you know not knowing when it was going to end and if it started an hour or two later for me i was used to that but i understood that 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 wasn't uh scalable and and so when i had this this uh product and fortunately i was one of the first to 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 try their sample and again this came out of um uh IP used for a cholesterol medicine like 30 years ago where, um, you know, they had a lipid at a plant that was a lipid and, and they wanted to, to create a water soluble medicine because of the way that we metabolize uh, these products. Uh, it needed to be water soluble uh, for a variety of reasons. And, um, 
you know, for the, he tried it using, he tried using the cannabis plant and, and didn't even know what he had. Right. And I was one of the first people he said, here, try this, you know, I'll try it. And, and it was literally as I'm taking, you know, I'm sipping it, I'm starting to, to feel the effects. And within an hour, it was out, you know, completely out of my system. And I started giving it to some people that were going through like, you know, chemo, for example. And, you know, the, you know, one, you know, an uncle of mine was going through chemo specifically at the time, and he had uh, a tremendous amount of mucus, right? And would always have a tissue box with him. And so I gave him a, a sip of this. For 45 minutes, he did not touch a tissue. And it started immediately. He drank it with immediately no tissues. And 45 minutes later, the tissue box came out and started taking it. And I noticed it and I said, here, take another sip. Took another sip and I'm telling you, no mucus. And I pushed the, the, you know, the golden buzzer, as they say on that one. And it was a game changer. Um, they're still developing product out of that. But, you know, again, that's what drives my passion. It's, it's how do we, you know, bring cannabis to the masses, to everybody, because that's what it's about. That's how we're going to create that credibility and legitimacy. It's not just for medical patients. It's not just for rec users. It's, it's for everybody. You know, I tell people that, you know, similar to maybe food or music, you know, those are the only two I really could think of. You don't need to speak the same language as the other person. You don't need to have the same ideology as the other person. You share cannabis with somebody and you can have, you know, one, you know, a fantastic experience unlike any other. Uh, and again, maybe food does that, maybe music. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really what drives my passion. So it, it's, you know, would I love to find um, and invest in a cure for cancer one day? Absolutely. You know, but, you know, and a lot of people maybe expect that of me, um, being that, you know, that's largely the impetus that, that you know, drives me um, into this industry. Um, but the reality is it's, it's not just on the medical side. You know, I was a refuser first, right? <laughs> so um, it's, it's for everybody. And um, yeah, so long answer again, I apologize, but you know, I'm really passionate about this, um, which I think is absolutely necessary uh, for anybody that wants to, to be in this industry uh, because it's a roller coaster. And if you're not passion driven, it's, it's not for you. Wow. David, thank you so much for all that, man. Hearing your story, I've heard bits of it before, but to go more in depth and, you know, I, I never knew that bit about you graduating high school and working on getting signatures. And so it, that's incredible how it, you know, to the evolution of it all and, and wow, just hearing everything you had to endure personally battling cancer and you know having cannabis be a strong ally in that fight and propelling you to ask those questions of you know well why does this work how come you know i i have on a smaller scale a similar experience where you know i talk about in the book where i had this freak accident and for months i was bedridden and i had to rest up to to be able to you know protect my arm and you know, I'd been a pothead before and I use that as a term of endearment, you know, uh, and I always thought medical cannabis was some joke, that that was just like something that, you know, some excuse to get it legalized or whatever. 
Um, but actually in that experience, I, I, I used it for pain management to do my physical therapy and, and to be able, and also just for some joy, because I was, you know, 23 years old and bedridden and couldn't go do anything for several months. And, you know, it was the one bright spot in my day was when my friends would come by and we would have some pot and hang out. And, you know, for a little while I felt normal and like myself again. Um, so, but anyway, um, you know, wow. And it was actually that experience that led me to question and to start thinking about, well, wait a second, what's going on here? Cause before I was just a totally ignorant consumer and you know, that whole accident and recovery, that whole situation made me ask not only questions about cannabis, but also, you know, the kind of deeper existential questions of like, why did this happen to me? Why did I survive? What am I doing here? And I can only imagine that, you know, you had a similar experience in, you know, battling this, this difficult form of cancer that several oncologists wrote you off. And, you know, yet all these years later, here you are. Um, so, you know, I, I'm curious, what's it like, you know, kind of two part question, what's it like being David Hess today? And, and I, I'm interested, you know, on the micro level, like, what's the day to day of a cannabis investor, you know, for the audience and, and more for, for my own curiosity, really, I, I'm wondering, just kind of in the bigger scheme of things, I, I would love to hear about that, that kind of existential questioning that maybe you went through. So many years ago, my father, as a senior in high school, okay, fell off a cliff and should, should have, it all, you know, should have been dead. Woke up in the hospital a few days later, should have been dead. Fast forward uh, about a year and a half, he's backpacking through Europe and, and a little bit through the Middle East and, and has a stopover through Israel. Not religious whatsoever, grew up in Palos Verdes, California, Jewish, but completely secular. And um, he's walking uh, in the old city of Jerusalem and an old rabbi you know, with the big white beard stops him and they get into the whole story uh, and, and he tells my father, or he asks my father, you know, would you like to stay and learn about God? And so my father says to him, you know, God and I are like this. And he says, what do you mean God and you are like that? And he told him the whole story, right? And so the rabbi looked at my father and he said, who do you think pushed you off? Right? And so from that point on, and, and my father is this like deep thinker, um, and maybe that's something that birthed it within me. I bet actually I'm on both sides of my family, but um, so, you know, I, I think about that a lot, right? Why did I get cancer? Um, you know, what, what was the reason for pushing me, you know, off of, off of that cliff, right? And I think I'm still learning the answers, right? And it's almost like every time I hear a story like the story you just told me, right, about your experience or anyone else I meet that had a positive experience with cannabis, um, sometimes I think that's why I'm still here. Um, I don't know. I think we're still playing out, you know, um, you know, it, it happened, you know, for me when I was young, I've got four great kids right now and an awesome wife. And, 
maybe that's why I'm still here. You know, I often joke, you know, I used to think of myself as like a cat with nine lives, you know, cancer wasn't it. I've been in some pretty gnarly accidents. I flipped over in cars, you know, multiple flips um, were where, you know, I should have not survived. Um, and just a variety of other accidents in life. Um, but I'm still here. I'm still kicking. And it's, it's part of what makes up the resilience uh, of, of who I am. And um, I think that's part of what defines me almost, is that resilience. And, um, you know, so, so, you know, that's, that has, you know, some, something to do with it. Um, and uh, getting to the day-to-day, super busy, you know, um, maybe busier than I need to be sometimes. Uh, maybe we'll get to that in the coaching uh, section of, the, uh, of this, but, you know, it starts early uh, and ends real late because, you know, I'm on the East Coast and we're global. So we're looking at opportunities and doing diligence and opportunities in Israel, in Europe, and in those time zones, right? Um, and we're also staying up, you know, late because I'm speaking a lot to the West Coast, right? Um, so it's a long, long day. Uh, and, and if I wasn't as passionate as I was, it almost doesn't feel like work, if that makes sense. I put in a tremendous amount of hours, um, but it's, it's, it's just what I do, if that makes sense. Uh, it's almost like breathing. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it's it, it, it just that's what I do. And so um, it would be you know one more granular level, right? It's it's emails. We're getting um, a, a lot of deal flow inbound, and it's not because you know there's some magic there, right? Anyone that's that does their homework on cannabis investors, you know there are maybe a few hundred. It's 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 not that hard to find us. And so um, we, we do get a lot of, of, of uh, inbound deals. And so that a lot of times that, you know, that, you know, comes through me and we'll take a look at that. And uh, a lot of times I'm doing diligence or looking at deals before they're even, you know, funding rounds are announced. Okay. And the way it's again, not magic. Uh, if someone had a, a round that, you know, they raised two years ago, right, they're likely going to be raising another round soon, right? And so if they raised a round six months ago, what I'll do is I'll go to my calendar and in, you know, a year and a half from now, I'll, I'll make a little marker and I'll say, reach out to that company um, and see if, if they're raising at that time. And I'll follow those companies and, and just, you know, lightly keep track of, of things like employee size and, and, you know, more, you know, just certain KPIs that, you know, that, that we look for. Um, so a lot of the day is coming up with those KPIs, you know, and, and it's fluid. Right. Um, and so not all of them are fluid, but, but some are. And, and so we're adding and, and sort of tweaking all the time and trying to create some kind of a template. So it becomes, you know, somewhat easier, but the reality is it's, it's, it might be somewhat easy to, to weed out, um, you know, once you have like a, a, a good thesis as to what you're investing in, uh, if you were, it's not us, cause we, we do touch the plant, but if you were, for example, only doing ancillary, you know, someone comes to you with a cultivation, boom, you don't even look at that. Right. But for us, we are, we are opportunistic. We are looking at 
most uh, most deals. But now I'm looking less at you know uh, you know seed stage, for example. So I'll I'll take the inbound because again I want to watch that and knowing when that round closed, you know we potentially like to be a part of the next round um, once there's a little bit more traction and maybe we want to even uh, support without capital, right? And support that traction up until the time where we can invest. That happens a lot as well. Um, so identifying companies uh, within each sector is something that I spend a lot of time on and just, you know, really building out the landscape uh, within each sector and uh, understanding not just who the the number one guy is or the number 20 uh, girl is, you know, it's, it's who's hunt number, you know, 100, you know, I, I really want to know everybody. And a lot of times it's, it's also me reaching out on LinkedIn and I would, I would bet that everybody or pretty much everybody listening to this uh, podcast is LinkedIn with me. And again, that's not an accident. Um, I do a lot of outbound um, because I, I, I want to see what they're putting out, um, you know, and, and I want them to benefit from, you know, news that I'm sharing as well. Um, and a lot of times, like, for example, uh, in a few days or, or now it's, it's pretty often with Zoom, uh, we do these, um, you know, pitch sessions, right? I, I would love to be able to share with my LinkedIn family, my LinkedIn network, when there's another pitch, in, you know, another pitch session, uh, whether they're looking for capital or whether they're just looking for guidance, um, it's just a great way to to share, uh, you know, what's going on. And so, if there's no, you know, sometimes people don't want to accept a LinkedIn connection. I don't think that's wise. I mean, if they're not in your industry and it's something that you know, that's that's different. But I'm talking about somebody in your industry does what you're doing, you know chances are you're going to find value. There's an old Jewish proverb, you know, you find, you know, if, you know, who's the wise one who learns from, from his fellow, right, man. And, and that's, that's what we're all about. Be open to learning from others. Um, and hopefully others will be, you know, open to learning from you. Uh, so that's what I do. I do a lot of networking throughout the day, a lot of phone calls throughout the day, uh, a lot of webinars, um, podcasts. And uh, so it's, it's, all cannabis related <laughs> that's for sure uh and you know i've spent a few minutes eating and drinking and a few minutes exercising which is something that i've been much better at lately uh because i i got to the point where where i wasn't anymore i was just like sitting in this chair way too much um and so especially with with, with the lack of travel it started to really become apparent that I was sitting in this chair too much because uh, at least I would get you know every week or two I'd be on a plane going somewhere and running around um, so exercise is, is, is really really important so started rollerblading with my dog uh, and, and doing that I, I do that every night um, and uh, then I get back to work I mean I really I mean I'll take a few hours to relax obviously um, but I mean if you call me or, or text me or email me at two or three in the morning no joke. There's a good chance I'll be up and might even respond. So that's nice. just what I do. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Hopefully you know? I'll get on, on a, on some more flights soon. That's, that's usually where I caught up on sleep. I see a lot of people working on flights. That's where I caught up on sleep. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. David, I want to ask you, since you mentioned earlier uh, about the importance of data 
And I'm curious if you can give me just some high level data points about like how many deals you see a year and you know, how many of those deals do you actually pursue in a meaningful way or actually end up placing capital in or, you know, just some, some kind of metrics around um, you and Tress. Okay. So we're seeing in the thousands, right? And, and the reason why if that sounds high, right? But I'm including the phone calls, the emails where someone calls up and says, I've got X acres of land and I'm pursuing a license. Can you help? Right? So if you're including those thousands a year, okay? Um, and we're not doing diligence on those, right? That is, you know, asking myself, am I taking calls from random people that, you know, have X land somewhere and am I investing in it? Likely not, um, you know, and historically we haven't. And so that's been helpful for, for me to slowly, you know, you know, I, I still want to one way or the other get back to that person if I can. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's, um, it, it's a lot. I would say in terms of how many deals we actually, you know, start the diligence process on, um, that's more like in the hundreds, right? Um, and then on, oh, it's generally about, I would say five to 10 a week that I really spend some time on and I'll speak with, you know, some of the C-level execs, um, getting to know more than just what I'm seeing on, on a deck or seeing, you know, in a, in a deal room, you know, um, really want to understand if it's a culture fit, et cetera. And that's something that I try and explain to entrepreneurs a lot and investors, right? is that it, and similar to a marriage right if some if a male has a heartbeat and and or someone has a heartbeat right and and someone else has a heartbeat that doesn't mean you put them together right that doesn't work and similar with investment and and the operator right it's it's depending on the size of the investment but if it's significant size which which we typically you know are are allocating it's a lot like a marriage right and and so you need to do your homework on not just the numbers, but on the people. And it's more than just, would you go to a ball game with them and have a beer with them? It's a lot more than that. And so yeah, about, you know, I would say 10, you know, about 10 to a dozen or so every week, you know, that we're, that we're looking at and, and taking notes on. And, and again, if it's not for, for now, those notes don't go bad. Right. I mean, you know, they, you know, I'll keep in touch with a lot of them. And a lot of times, what we'll do is because we've got sort of this bird's eye view and, and rightfully so a lot of the operators got their blinders on, right? What I'll do is I'll be able to sometimes uh, say, Hey, you know, what would be a great, you know, collaboration effort would be between, you know, you and, and you, right. And, and put those two together. Um, I'm doing that a lot. And again, it's, it's, we're, it's, it's for the benefit of the, of the industry. It's for the benefit of the cannabis community. If we're going to do something, you know, more extensive than that's done through solutions. But again, a lot of times it's not even, and sometimes it's not even asked. It's a lot of times it's, it's proactively I'll text someone and say, have you ever you know, thought about reaching out to so-and-so might be a good fit for both of you. A win-win, you know, something I like to see a lot of if we can. And so, um, you know, yeah, I would say about 10 or so in terms of how many deals we do a year, Historically, it's been one or two a, uh, a year, 
And it's not, you know, we don't have a fund where we have to allocate by a certain time. And I think that's to our advantage, right? Because for example, last year we were seeing, and it's gotten better this year, we were seeing some great opportunities, right? But just way overpriced. And you don't do that in real life, right? If you, you know, if someone wanted to give you a, a, a pair of shoes that you just really love, right? But was gonna charge you like 22 times what they thought the value of those shoes were gonna be in two years from now, right? You'd look at that person like they're nuts, right? And I get it, that's how it's done. You know, I'm learning, right? That's how it's done in finance a little bit, right? Depending on the sector. But, you know, it's, come on, right? And, and, and we, we saw a lot of pushback of the past year. So, um, you know, we, it, it's not a numbers game per se that we were going to invest one or two. It's, we invest in an opportunity that we feel we can um, add benefit, you know, to those operators and, and to that opportunity and vice versa, right? Maybe it's, it's fits what one of our investors are in ourselves, what, what we're passionate about and what we think we can add value to. Um, or where, you know, if we have a couple of companies or a company in the portfolio that could benefit from um, having this other company in the portfolio, maybe that's why we'll, we'll make an investment or, or start getting to know that, you know, company better. Um, and so it's not really, you know, we, we have to do, you know, one or four or seven deals a year. Uh, it's what makes sense to us, right? And I'd love to do more, you know, so. Yeah, you know, so that's why I, you know, we love to help entrepreneurs make sense of it, you know, um, so that whether it's us or other investors, and a lot of these operators are new, um, similar to how I was, right? A lot of these operators are new to the VC world, new to the, to the private equity world, new to, you know, to bringing in capital outside of maybe family and friends. And when that happens, it's a whole nother ballgame. You know, everything from, you know, governance to, you know, forming a board and, and I mean, it's a whole nother world and um, operators should be ready for that. If they're bringing on outside capital like that, sophisticated capital, I mean, they're likely going to reap the rewards, but, you know, they, they need to be ready for that and, and vice versa, right? Um, sometimes you have an investor that really doesn't do their homework on, on a particular sector or, you know, I, Mark, for example, was on, I listened to his podcast, right, from Urban Grow, and he was just getting frustrated because some investors just don't understand how much it takes to, to put in. And, and, and yeah, I get it, right? And we see that a lot as well. And, and investors really need to understand the sector, understand the opportunity. And if, if they're not going to be able to do the diligence themselves or put in the time, come to trust, come to uh, someone like a trust. And again, there, there are a number of us that have been spending years in this space uh, supporting investors, ensuring that you know, they target the right opportunity. And it's not just about the economics, trust me, it's not. And vice versa, right? Um, so hopefully you know, we continue to see good marriages and, and good, you know, good deals out there. Uh, again, we're starting to see a lot more of that and uh, you know that's that's really nice to see because again that's that's just going to add more credibility you know and legitimacy right. Let me ask you this, David. What's what's a in your opinion a counterintuitive truth about cannabis investing? So what's something that a lot of people think is like this, 
but actually it's like that. First question I get when people ask, what do you do? And I invest in cannabis automatically assume I'm invested in a cultivation. That's number one. Right. And I can procure them some, some cannabis and maybe I can, maybe I can't, but it's certainly not going to be, you know, from a cultivation that we're associated. It doesn't happen like that. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's one of them. Uh, number two is that you, if you invest in cannabis, you're, you're going to make money, right? Far from that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of retail investors that, that didn't go through a trust, um, you know, or some of our friends in the industry are learned that the hard way. Right. Um, and to my point earlier, the industry is sort of suffering as a result. So did we bring that on ourselves by not doing the homework? You know what I mean? So, and, and not, and, and I get it, you know, when you go, when you list and, and you do it on certain exchanges, I mean, those are the types of investors that are going to come in, but it's a cycle. And I think a lot of people might've known that this might've happened and, uh, or was going to happen. And hopefully we don't do it again. Um, you know, it, it's, it's so important that, you know, investors understand that this is very, very complicated and people say, well, it's weed. It's easy. It's a plant. You know, it's not. And, and, and whether it's the regulations or, um, you know, 280E if you're in retail. I mean, there's so much that you have to know. Um, you know, even if you're choosing an attorney, a lot of times, you know, we'll look at deals, look at opportunities, and I'll ask, who's your attorney? And it's some attorney that's not in their state, not in their region. And I wonder, why do you count on that attorney? How is that attorney going to know the day-to-day -day of what's going on in your county, which is, especially if in, let's say, California, very likely differs from the county next door, right? I'd really like, you know, you as an operator to have local counsel or someone that's hyper vigilant, right? Uh, you know, with, with local laws, um, you know, and so it's complicated. It's, it's really complicated. And so um, I would say that's the, the one and two, the two biggest misnomers about cannabis investing. Awesome. And oh, you know what? And the third, here's a big one. I got to say it. And this happened, and it, I mean, you could say I'm passionate about this too. You know, early on, it happened a lot more, you know, more than, than, than it's happening now. But a lot of investors assumed that cannabis operators were, you know, drug dealers, gangbangers, and just bad people, right? And, you know, that they couldn't be more you know, wrong, more incorrect. I mean, it's some of the greatest people, some of the warmest community that, that you'll ever meet. Um, so genuine about, about what you're doing. And again, it's not everybody, but at its core, right. That's what I've come up, you know, that's what, that's, that's who I've met. And that's, that's who I surround myself with. And there are a lot that I surround myself with. So it's a lot of people, right. That, that, that are that way. Um, yeah. It, it, we're not bad people. And, and if an investor thinks that they're going to invest in cannabis, right, and that they still have that in their head, right, that when they close their eyes and they think of cannabis, you know, they think of illegal activity and the illicit market and all these, just, just don't invest, please. You know, this is not for you. Um, you know, look at YouTube and, and see who's involved in the industry. Listen to some podcasts. See who's coming from outside industries into cannabis learn about the, you know, learn about the, the decades and decades of, of, um, of people that have really, you know, risks everything, right, uh, for cannabis. 
and what? Ask them, ask yourselves why they, you know, they're not bad people. Again, there's you know, bad apples in every bunch, but as a whole, if that's how you think, and, and early on, I'm not, I'm not gonna mention names of course, but earlier on, there were some investors that I would see at several of those uh, cannabis, um, you know, cannabis conventions. So they were going looking at cannabis deals and the way they would talk about the operators, I mean, I, I, I literally look at them, shake their hand and walk away. The second they would say, you know, something, you know, just, just despairingly about, about somebody in the industry like that, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. And I'm happy a lot of those guys in, are, are no longer in the industry, no longer investing in the industry. What are you most excited about in the industry right now or for the future of the industry? What am I most excited about? Um, it's a very good question. I think accessibility is getting better. I think we're seeing, for example, we talked about like water solubility before, uh, and I wasn't knocking any nano encapsulation or anyone that's emulsifying or anything like that. That was just the process that infusion biosciences does. Um, but the fact that we're thinking about how can we make it more approachable for people? How can we make it stay on a shelf longer? How can we make it more stable? How can we make it taste better? Um, you know, if we're talking about, uh, um, you know, uh, a beverage or, or an edible, right? Or a tincture. I think that that's, that's exciting to me. Um, something I'd like to see more of. I know, you know, we're seeing a lot more tech, right? Um, come into play and whether, you know, I'm supposed to log how I feel after I medicate. Um, there, there are quite a few apps out there which are awesome that, that they're um, you know, forward thinking like that. Um, but I'd like to see it in more of a wearable. And maybe that's just me and you know, I get a little you know, too comfortable after you know, maybe a nice Indica or something, but um, I just likely will not come back and enter, even if it's for my own benefit. So I know next time, you know, um, and I'm someone that, that consumes quite a bit. Um, I, I don't, um, yeah, I don't see that being the way of the future, but you know, the concepts there. So I'm wearing like an Apple watch, right? So when I medicate, right, if, if my heartbeat does something right, plus or minus, you know, um, I'd like to know. Right. And, if that can be done, I mean, the technology is already there. And I do know of a couple of, of companies in our industry that are starting to incorporate uh, this, these types of technology. And so that's what I would say I'm really excited about. I have jokingly say that, you know, maybe we're going to see a vape pen that takes my temperature. And so I could pass it to you and you'll know that I'm COVID free, uh, you know, or a rapid COVID test that's also like a vape pen or something, maybe, you know, uh, and how can bring us back to sort of passing uh, and, 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 you know, you, you, you had that talk with Danny Danko, right? And he was just like sad, like a lot of us are, that like the circle's gone, you know, the circle sesh. But, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's a way to bring it back. I, I don't know, you know. Um, I think we're also going to see um, a lot more on the industrial hemp side. And it's, it's something that we haven't fully explored yet uh, as an industry. We've started to, we saw the farm bill come through. Um, I think just obviously THC might've been sexier, um, but I mean, industrial cannabis. Well, I mean, uh, and industrial hemp, which is really the same thing. Industrial hemp has so many benefits that, uh, 
you know, I'm really, you know, really uh, excited to see. And uh, I can't imagine that that's not the way of the future, mm-hmm. right? Um, I can't see a future where where industrial hemp is not playing a massive, massive part and, and is a massive commodity. Um, and so that's that's something I'm looking forward to and, and sort of planting our feet in, uh, in in a few different ways right now. Cool. David, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to speak on or mention before we shift gears into the coaching? Um, yeah, so a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm assuming, are, are listening to, right, to the podcast. And a lot of times I get asked, you know, is there like a piece of advice, you know, you'd, you'd give them? And I'd, I've given some just through the podcast, right? But one in particular, you know, and, and I hope no one takes this the wrong way, don't ask me to sign an NDA before we've had a phone call, right? Um, and, you know, just, I, I don't need to see anything proprietary, right? I just want to hear your voice. I just want to understand a little bit about, you know, high level um, who you are and, and sure, I can look on your website and look on LinkedIn and, and I'll find those things out. But just, if, you know, that intro call, you know, Get me excited a little bit um, before you ask me to sign an NDA. Because think about it, right? How many people, like we just, you asked me, how many deals do we see, right? So in the thousands, am I going to have my, my counsel, right, full-time looking at NDAs and, and, and making sure that, that, that we're not in violation of these NDAs? And it would be a full-time job, right? And, and that's just a waste of money, right? It's a waste. Um, and so, and again, I don't come from the finance industry. So again, I, I feel a little bit weird even saying this out loud. I've, I've spoken with a couple of, of others in the cannabis industry. Um, so I do feel a little bit, um, you know, comfortable and, 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 I'm, and it, it gave me the courage to say it because they're, they're saying the same thing too. You know, when is the right time for an NDA? It's, it's when we've, express some serious interest in investing um, and you've got something really proprietary uh, that you're trying to protect. If that's not the case, man, just save it, save it for as long as you can, because think how many people are not putting stumbling blocks in front of us. Mm. Right. And, and that's what you want to do. You want to, you want to put a stumbling block. I mean, I had one company, I'm not going to say the name, but we really want, we're, we're, we're excited about looking into and just because of, COVID. It was like right at the beginning of COVID and the timing, he sent us an NDA and he really wanted it done. And, you know, I, I've known the person for a while and okay, you know, you really want us to sign this NDA, fine. I'm going to send it to the attorneys. And when it comes back, it comes back. And it took forever. And because of COVID, it just, you never know what's going to happen. Right. And he would call every few days, what's going on? When are we going to talk? I said, I'm still trying to get your NDA signed. You know, this is not, my fault we could have had that conversation we could have been you know deep into this already and so that's that's really what i would suggest um is is whether it's an nda or anything else you know just just keep the stumbling blocks to a minimum i love that advice i'm so happy you brought that up actually because it's it's a mistake that i've seen many beginner entrepreneurs make where you know they're they're, they have this fear of, you know, my big idea is going to get stolen or something. And it's like, first of all, most of the time there is zero proprietary information mm-hmm. and they're trying to 
you know, send out this NDA, which the, the bigger issue, you know, second of all is uh, a David Hess isn't going to try to steal your idea. You know, he's not interested in that because he knows that ideas aren't really worth that much. It's all about the execution. And, and to your point, and I, I, I talk about this in the book a bit is you have to understand as an entrepreneur, what an investor's mindset is like, you know, they don't want to waste time on these administrative tasks and they certainly don't appreciate, you know, if you're the one who's trying to get something from this investor and you're making things harder for them, you're really just shooting yourself in the foot. And, and by lacking that awareness, you're already kind of demonstrating to the potential investor that, Hey, this person isn't seasoned, isn't serious and probably not qualified, not worth much more of my time because investors, as I say in the book, you know, in theory have an abundance of money. So their scarce resource is time. And they're going to be very, very diligent about how they spend their time. And if you, as much as give them a hint that you're wasting their time, you know, it's on to the next deal. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say do the opposite, right? Do the polar opposite. Give me three good reasons, right? Why, I, why you think Tress is, is the right fit for investment into your company, whether it's a convertible or, or you know, it's an equity round, whatever it may be, why is Tress a good fit? And if you can start off the rapport that way, you're gonna, you're gonna get you know, more yeses than, than noes, or that yes is going to come a lot sooner. And, and, and then now that I've said you know, getting noes, about getting noes, um, and I, I think it's in the book as well, don't burn that bridge, okay? And and if you know who you are, <laughs> you know, um, don't burn the bridge. There's really there's really no point. We've said no uh, on occasion and, and 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 invested later on, right? Sometimes I'll say no and and just to see and and it's not cruel. Like I said, I have to see if it's a culture fit. I want to see sometimes, you know, are they going to burn this bridge with me because. It, it's kind of like, it's like a character trait. <laughs> I'm not going to say flaw, it's a trait that, that you know, um, that expresses itself um, in other ways. And so, um, yeah, you know, just, just uh, don't burn any bridges. And, and that doesn't mean, you know, we're going to be best friends. Uh, but there, there are a, a few companies out there that do a really great job of it and they will send me their KPIs monthly, right? Monthly. They'll send me their KPIs and we're getting close to thinking about potentially making an investment in them. Um, and, and really what drove the, the, you know, idea there was, you know, they do a really great job of keeping me updated. I don't want, you know, it's better than some portfolio companies, you know, used to, you know, uh, <laughs> you've gotten a lot better at it. But, you know, if, if you're sending me your KPIs and updates and we did this this month, and we're going this this month, every month, and I'm not even an investor, right? That's, that's great. And that just shows me you're, a, you know, no grudges, you know, that I said no, you know, for a variety of reasons, right? A lot of it is about timing. I mean, timing is, man, timing is golden. Right. And I still haven't figured that out. But I mean, timing is everything. 
how, why, I don't know, but timing is everything. And, and sometimes it's just poor timing, you know? Everything else might click, it's just poor timing. Um, and so maybe next week is the right time. So just, yeah, don't burn that bridge and, and uh, you'll also likely be get, get closer to a lot of yeses uh, or closer to that next yes from us or from, from others. Absolutely. And this industry is way too small, especially the, the yeah. serious professional investors. You guys all know each other. And, you know, in case the people listening aren't aware of that, like more than know each other, we know each other, we communicate with each other, you know, through whether it's chat, phone calls, you know, we used to see each other more often because, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, or you're an investor, maybe you're going to like a handful of these events. Some of, you know, the value add, I mean, think about just, you know, on your LinkedIn, who you see is speaking at these events. Some people are like speaking at every event. That means they're there, right? So, um, you know, they're running around. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking. And right now, if you're not talking live, I mean, we're, we're doing it digitally, right? So, yeah, we're, we're collaborating. A lot of us are. There are some that, you know, that's by their nature. They, they, they want to you know, go in their own direction, be on their own channel. That, that's, that's also fine. Um, but I've always felt, uh, for whatever it may be, that there's power in numbers and knowledge is power. And again, like we talked about and, and sort of touched on earlier, right? Um, you want to be able to learn from, from, uh, learn from everybody. Um, you know, that, that's really the way you, you, you truly amass knowledge. Absolutely. And, and to your point earlier about, you know, just being opportunistic and differentiating yourself by having that consistency and that that professionalism of keeping you informed or keeping an investor informed of hey here's my progress month over month you know not only are you reminding them hey i'm i'm here i'm serious i'm doing work but it also creates the opportunity of maybe then david will make a connection of oh you know what you guys should meet this person or here's a collaboration or here's a connection yeah, and, and so there was one other thing I wanted to mention, and of course it slipped my mind. So um, so I'm going to ask you instead about, uh, you, you showed me a book that you had on your desk. I'm wondering what, what advice or resources do you have for people to just up their game and keep growing? So this is the book, and, and you know, I know you like to put links on for, the, for, uh, for your listeners and followers, and we'll do that also. This is uh, the resilience factor. Another good one is entrepreneurial transitions. Uh, Roy Caminero. Say that one. Nice. And of course, there's that. Oh one. yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's a, good a good one. one. I like that book. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you need to put the link on or if it's already there for that one, but we'll add the two links uh, for the other two. And it's really, you know. Resilience, like we were talking about earlier, is part of it is, I guess, in your, your one's DNA. Um, but like anything else, you know, one needs to nurture that, work on that. And for me, resilience, like I had said earlier, uh, is almost part and parcel about like who I am and how I've always identified with my, you know, I, I, as because I had to, right? I'd get close 
you know, to something and then fall and have to get back up. You know, I would be on the way to some place and get into an insane accident and be in the hospital for a month or two. And, you know, end of, you know, a, a sports, you know, a year, you know, I used to play a lot of sports and that would take me out of that. Year. Just whatever it may be, you know, resilience was always the name of the game. Uh, for myself and you know I'd seen it in, in grandparents that had gone through the Holocaust I mean you know grit and resilience are what get people uh, further in life you know and and able just to get through life sometimes right um, and so those are kind of the the books that that I read when when I get spare time I, I also like to, to look at uh, biographies and and you know, historic, you know, I look at like historical fiction and whatnot, but certainly, um, you know, these days working on the resilience, definitely. Amazing. Awesome. So now, David, is the time that we shift into, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Actually, yeah. I'll, I, I, will, I will bring up just this quick momentary thing is when you hear no from an investor or just in general, from anyone, you know, no one likes to be rejected. And to the point about timing, that timing is such a huge factor. You know, when you hear no, instead of no, hear it as not now. And just tell yourself, okay, it's right now it's a no, and maybe in the future it's a yes. And so don't, don't jump to the conclusion that it's no and no forever. So hear those no's as not now's and don't let that discourage you. Instead, let it fuel you to improve and up your game and, and to ask yourself, okay, how can I be opportunistic? How can I build this relationship? How can I demonstrate value? How can I keep in touch? How can I offer value? Because mm -hmm. to, to, to let a relationship die at a no is to to just demonstrate really short-sightedness and, and, and uh, a lack of creativity because Absolutely. it's like, oh, if, if this one thing didn't work, then it's done. And that's just so short-sighted, especially in an industry that evolves so rapidly. So again, instead of hearing those no's and taking them as no, never, just think it's not now. And, and learn, like you said, learn from, from those no's. Don't be shy. Right. I mean, maybe not everybody's going to answer, but I would ask me why. Ask me why, why I said no. Right. And ask me, were there any, you know, were there any things you did like? Right. And you're obviously speaking with me. That means you liked something. What were those things that you liked so that I could learn for my next pitch? Maybe are you the wrong investor? Did I, did I, you know, am I, in, you know, a company that's, you know, Am I, am I not as profitable as you needed me to be to fit into thesis? You know, are you heavy on, 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 on a certain sector? And is that why, um, you know, it's not necessarily because it's a bad company. And, and, and this has happened before, right? Where I've, I've said no to, to a company and I introduced them immediately to their investor, right? Because I knew it wasn't a fit for me, for Tress, but it was a fit for this other group. And so just, just ask, you know, and, and, and just remember, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're not everybody, but, you know, at least stress and, and a lot of, a lot of us, and again, you know, do some home, a little bit of homework into the industry. You'll find out who these added, you know, value, I call added value cannabis investors are in the groups. Um, I know most of, most of them. And for the most part, we'll answer that question, right? 
maybe it'll be through email, you know, not in the media over the phone. Um, but ask us why, man, you know, and, and we'll be happy to explain. And, and like you said, keep that relationship going. That's, that's what's important. Absolutely. And, and to David's point, you know, he said many times, what drives him is he wants to see the industry and the community succeed. And that's going to be true of pretty much everyone that you see on my podcast or in the book. And so you have to understand that in this industry, people want the good guys or good gals to prevail. And so, you know, people want to help you. They want to see you succeed. So keep that in mind when, whenever you treat anyone or interact with anyone in, in any business capacity in cannabis that they might not be your next partner or whatnot, but they can be your next ally or they can give you the intro you need that's going to turn into, you know, the, the explosive growth. So yeah. just keep that in mind. People here want to collaborate and support good operators and, and good actors. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. And so with that said, now we will switch gears and go into the coaching portion and you know oh yeah there you go now see i i need to hit that too so we could be on the same page but you know for the purposes of this show we can just we'll, we'll just roll with it so david what is your biggest roadblock or challenge right now in business or or in life yeah so I think it's, I have a habit of spreading myself too thin. Um, and I know I used to be like a Stephen Covey, like, you know, groupie a little bit, you know, and, and talks about sharpening the blade. And I'm embarrassed to say that a lot of times I don't sharpen my blade enough. Um, if that makes sense, right? Uh, to some of the listeners that, that don't understand what that is, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Um, if you have a blade, right, think of a kitchen knife, right? If you don't sharpen it, right, as your, as your tool, if you're a chef, right, and you've got that, that kitchen knife, and you don't, and they're sharpening it all the time, that they're professionals, right? Now I'm kind of answering my own thing, right? Um, uh, there you go. It's good to talk it out, right? Um, but when, when, when you don't, um, yeah, you, you, you aren't as effective. One isn't as effective and... Um, I should know better, but um, I, I do find myself, for maybe a number of reasons, uh, spreading myself just a little bit too thin, and um, I, I probably should do a better job of, of sharpening the blade. So I'm hearing two different things, and maybe I'm misunderstanding, but you know, I, th I think one thing is spreading yourself too thin, and then you're talking about sharpening the blade, which I'm understanding as um like developing your own skills or knowledge and maybe that's not how you're using it so um that's actually interesting i i use it more as uh yeah that and it even it, like we're talking about exercise right if you need to be a whole individual health you know everything sleep uh you know i'm not great at that as i used to reserve it for, for my flights but now without flights it's like you know what am i doing um about sleep so i need to get better at that um i know that 
a brain functions better, like, you know, with, with, with sleep and, and now with COVID, I've been hyper aware of that, you know, I, I need to try and have, you know, better health, uh, overall health, because that will, you know, keep my immune system up and, you know, uh, you know, so I maybe take a few more cannabinoids, uh, for that, you know, just to keep the balance there, um, that, that homeostasis, but, um, I shouldn't need to, right. I, I should also, you know, just get the actual sleep and, and yeah. So that then, yeah, that makes sense. So, so but you're doing so. too much, right. <clears throat> and, and you think that like, that's what's, you could almost do the same amount or more in less time. If the blade is sharp, that's, so yeah, I, I hear that as well, like honing in on skills and that also makes sense. But for me, I mean, I do that and, and I hear that. Um, but yeah, I was leaning more towards the way I was spreading myself too thin, usually go hand in hand, right? I don't give enough time um, for some other important things. Uh, yeah, and yeah. one thing, like I said, I put all my efforts into cannabis, you know, and like, it's almost like who I am, you know, 24 seven. Is that good? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Um, that's kind of what I'm asking. Maybe I should be that like, you know, 18, seven and, and I don't know, or, or you know, 16, seven. I, I, I don't know. So I'm hearing now that when you say you're spreading yourself too thin, it's really this dynamic of at the expense of potentially your self care or your health care. And maybe, you know, the, the myth of, work-life balance that if you're if you're working all the yes. time you know good or bad it, it is what it is the judgment however you want to judge it is up to you but if it's at the expense of taking care of yourself and your basic needs you know like sleep for example or exercise or diet then ironically that's gonna the the thing that you're like trying to avoid potentially which is you know skipping a beat at work or whatnot is going to start happening. Right. So like, I like, yeah, exercise was certainly a part of that. Right. And so I started walking or rollerblading my dog. Um, it was a little bit, I guess, scary at first with COVID, but I, you know, especially somebody that ha doesn't have the best immune system. Um, so I was, at first I was a little bit, you know, apprehensive about going out, but as the numbers started getting better, you know, here in New York, and I would, you know, also do it kind of late at night um, when, when no one was in the streets. And uh, I mean, not too many people were just driving, that's for sure anyways, but certainly at that late at night, no one was doing it. And, um, you know, I would, I would get some exercise that way, uh, with my dog, Callie. Um, and, but I, you know, I make sure I have one, I have four kids. Um, my youngest is, uh, eight. And so I put him to bed every night. Um, it's actually pretty quiet, you know, obviously with a lot of travel, I missed out on, on a bunch of those nights. So I get to do that every night right now. Um, but like, for example, like all my meals, right. Are while I'm working. Right. Um, I mean, I, you know, again, it's, I don't take like breaks, if that makes sense. My breaks are like, I, I'm, you know, putting my kid to bed or, I mean, I guess that's a break, but it's not a, you know, it's not a restorative break, I guess, if that makes sense. I, like, like I really should be. So what, what would a restorative break look like for you? 
not answering emails, you know, not, not being a slave to, to the ding, <laughs> you know? Um, and I mean, I'm addicted. Like the second I hear something, I need to see what's, what happened. Um, there's some news feeds, right? Cannabis and, and outside of cannabis, but in particular cannabis, um, I want to be on top of everything. And so I guess I need to also allow myself not like it's okay if I'm not the first person to know something, right? Um, I also enjoy sharing information. And so maybe that's part of it. If I, you know, I want to be early on to the information so that I can absorb it and share it. Maybe I don't need to do that all the time. Maybe so, that doesn't need to be my responsibility all the time, uh, you know? Yeah. David, let me ask you, what, what is, because I'm hearing you talk about this lack of you know, what you call sharpening the blade, I'm actually thinking of more like what I'm hearing from you is more like recharging the batteries. And I'm wondering, because I heard you say sleep and restorative breaks and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm wondering, what is the lack of, you know, this restorative time or blade sharpening? What is that costing you right now? I, I don't know. Um, it's costing me sleep. <laughs> right hours of sleep um but i mean what is what what does that result in i i can make assumptions right that maybe i'd be more productive um in the same amount of time you know i could be more productive using the same assets um if i had a little bit more sleep you know does that make sense what's in the way of you getting more sleep so like i said i there's so much information out there, whether it's, like I said, you know, like when we talked about, I wasn't exaggerating when I say I'm looking and doing diligence on deals and taking the landscape of, of the cannabis industry in and notating it and everything. I mean, that's a lot, right? A lot. If you think about all the different sectors, right? All the different you know, biotech companies, all the different ad tech companies that, I mean, you go through, there's, there's literally like, you know, like close to a hundred subsectors, you know, and, you know, I want to understand how many investments have gone into a specific subsector. Well, for me, it's easier to see, right. When I have it in, you know, in a spreadsheet a certain way. Um, and I can say, Oh, you know, these, you know, so-and-so made, you know, X investment at this time into this particular company. Um, and you know, it, it really helps me understand the bigger picture of that sector. And then in general, maybe where people are, you know, others in the industry are spending time investing um, where I want to also be on the cap table. Like I said, I'm sometimes we're a lot of times we're proactive and we'll make phone calls and say, Hey, you know, are you guys raising or, or, you know, can we support you in some other way, you know, and, and getting to know the companies and, and, and just highlighting who and identifying who is doing what and, 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 you know, that, that sort of thing. And so um, I get that, like, you know, it, sometimes it's just too much and I need to be okay with the fact that like, you can't, you know, take it all in. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I mean, if you think about it, there's, you know, a few hundred listed companies. If you're just focused on those listed companies and, you know, the SPACs and the MSOs and everybody, you know, on, on the, first of all, there's different exchanges, right? But if you just focused on, let's say those in, in North America, right? That's, I mean, there are 
that's that's a full-time job right and that's like a sliver a little sliver of what i am attempting to do <laughs> you know on a daily basis so yeah and and we we have other support it's not you know just david has doing it but it's certainly david has leading the efforts and 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 um and and as we go forward there's more automation of these things and some of it is just that's the nature of the beast you know and early on um a lot of it's manual until it can become automated right but yeah maybe it's just that i you know like i said i want to be that person i always enjoy like you know helping and sharing and and if and 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 really like i said like if i can do that then that will increase to me at least it increases credibility to cannabis and and that's something you know i said cannabis has been a part of it if you're wondering why that goes back right cannabis has been a very very large part of my life since i was 16 17 years old right and early on cannabis had zero credibility okay and so i knew it all along right and you know i'm happy now that a lot of the, you know more of the mainstream is seeing it that way you know it started off as the family members starting to see it that way you know the parents the grandparents the uncles and aunts starting to be okay with it you know i mean like i said certain members were but not everybody you know up front but then every you know it slowly once it started legalizing in in california and other states and and then when sanjay gupta put out you know weeds and 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 i could start pointing to different youtube videos and and different um you know i could point out that in israel they were doing um clinical trials since also 96 you know um and they've been studying it since the 60s and 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 the government is is in favor of it and and you know just really trying to trying to like help you know create this paradigm shift um it started like i said in my inner circle and then slowly trying to to put it out there into the world um maybe i'm trying to do too much too quick i don't you know like it's a i and i, I don't know what that says it. it's a marathon not a race you know and so i mean that helps the more i tell myself that is that you know it's yeah. it's a, slow down you know it's okay it doesn't all have to happen today <laughs> you know right uh, right and that helps yeah so david let me ask you what insights have you gotten just from talking this out a little what's coming up for you as you know you you started with wanting to you, you know you said i'm i feel overcommitted i feel spread thin i know when i feel spread thin the fear that comes up for me is I'm going to fuck something up. I'm going to miss something. I'm, I'm juggling too many balls in the air. I'm going to drop one. And then, oh man, then it said, then the fear starts telling me, then it's going to be downhill from there. I'm going to mess up, not just one thing. I'm going to mess up a lot of things. Yeah. And then, so, so that, that's my experience. So you started with, you know, the, I'm spread too thin. And then you told me that, you know, you want to sharpen the blade or maybe get some more rest or, or you, you, there's a judgment perhaps that you feel like you should be getting more sleep. And now you've, you, oh, I know I should be getting more sleep. <laughs> so, so you, <laughs> that's great. So, you know, you should be getting more sleep. I'm curious, do you want to be getting more sleep? That's 
That's a great question. Knowing and knowing and wanting, right? Um, the difference between the two. Uh, obviously, not not bad enough. My desire to accumulate, to, to accumulate, right, all that information, and then share it is greater than the desire for wanting to get an extra two, three hours of sleep. I say to myself, you're good with four-ish to five hours of sleep. You know, like, look, you just did it, you know, for the past month or two, like, you're fine. You know, like, you could deal like that. But then, like, I'll have, like, a, a seven-hour, you know, and and it'll be like, wow, I feel great, <laughs> you know? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I needed that, you know? Because, um, like I say, I'm... Even weekends, you know, it's, it's just, this is who I am. I'm always, I'm cannabis all the time. <laughs> I, I hear that. I get that. And, and it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, no, what do you think? Well, I'm curious. Actually, maybe I need to allow myself not to be cannabis all the time. But then like, like I said, like, it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 it just almost feels like it's part of my DNA. Like everything about it. That. I get that. I get that. And what's interesting to me, what I want to ask you is, you know, sometimes our desires aren't in line with what our needs are and vice versa. And so, you know, maybe you don't desire getting more sleep enough, but maybe you need, maybe you need it. I don't know. It sounds like you don't know, <laughs> or maybe you do know and, and you just really don't want to make a change, which right. is okay. Um, I do think, however, you know, I would strongly encourage you, and I don't know if, if you're taking like any days off or time off or whatever, but from everything I've studied about creativity and productivity and all that stuff and high performance, whether it's sports or whatever, we need recovery time. We need yeah. time away from whatever the craft is. That's where the, you know, the, the creativity, that's why people have the insights in the shower or whatnot. You know, I used to, it's, it's tougher in COVID, right? Um, you know, and, and that's a tougher challenge, ironically, right? For some people, this has been like the biggest vacation for good or for, good or for bad, right? <laughs> you know, um, for me, on the other hand, A, I mean, I used to go, and you might appreciate this, um, I think we're similar Eastern European backgrounds. Uh, every Thursday evening, right? I would sharpen my blade, um, and I would when I was in town, and I would go to a banya, okay? Which for some of your listeners is like it's a it's a it's like a Russian bathhouse, um, totally kosher. Uh, so if anyone's thinking uh, else, it's not right. It's it's a place where you go. You've got steam rooms, saunas, jacuzzis, cold like igloo type, you know, ice rooms. Um, and, uh, I do go to, there's like an, a few Asian ones as well that are awesome. Um, but like the, at the Russian banya, they would have these plots of this, like these like oak leaves, these birch leaves or oak leaves that you would just like basically, you know, beat the crap out of yourself with or someone would, uh, out of you and just get all the toxins out. And for me, I did it Thursday night because I wanted to go into the weekend feeling, you know, you know, fresh and just feeling like, I, like almost symbolically, like not like getting that crap out of me and like going into the week, new week, um, fresh, have the weekend even to just for myself and, and, you know, start the week all. And since COVID, I mean, I remember the first time and it was actually, 
you know, it, it, it was one of the Asian ones that I would go to because they're open later. So, and they were doing some construction at the one I was going to uh, in, in Brooklyn. And so I ended up at another one. And this is just when, you know, news of, of you know, COVID, coronavirus coming out of Wuhan, right, was, was starting to, you know, penetrate, you know, over here. And I'm looking at, you know, my friend with the, that I'd usually go with Thursday nights. And I said, is this the smartest thing that, you know, I said, I'm looking around. I said, there's must be, you know, like there must be better places than, than this, you know, to, to be spending our time to chill, you know, if we're not trying to, to catch COVID, you know, like this is like a bathhouse, right? So um, we had to stop going. And then sure enough, like two days later, you know, everything shut down. There was no choice. Um, but you know, it, it's a lot harder, right? Because, I mean, that was every Thursday night. Like, if I was in New York, you know, that's where you would find me, right? Um, for a few hours every Thursday night. Now, granted, while I was there, I was probably talking about cannabis or consuming cannabis. So, <laughs> still 24-7 cannabis, but in a different way, if that makes sense, right? Um, and without it, without, you know, with COVID, like, you can't, you can't, I can't go there, right? I'm actually... I just ordered a hot tub for, for the backyard because I, I, I can't <laughs> not have it <laughs> working on the, the sauna and the birch. Maybe we'll plant an oak tree. Um, <laughs> but, you know, starting to build it out <laughs> at home um, because I can't not, you know, have some kind of an outlet, right? But that was there and now with COVID, it's not. And also there's, I mean, think about it. Every month there was an event, right, pre-COVID pre-Zoom, there was a live event, but it was every month, you know, I mean, you could skip a few, and now that it's Zoom, right, if, if, if you say no to somebody, I mean, it's like, what do you mean no, no to a Zoom meeting, where are you, where, if you're not home, what are you doing, you know what I mean, and so, anytime, like I said, um, you've got, it's a global, if you're, if you're doing, if you're looking at this globally, I mean, it's at all hours of the day, and so, it's, it's harder with COVID, if that makes sense. Um, or maybe just we need to like all sort of maybe, you know, the first couple months of this was new and we were all kind of like, all right, maybe I'll have to Zoom and, and, and you know, get the right background. And, da, 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 da. and now that we're all like dialed in, <laughs> I'll use a term, right, from the industry, we've got our Zooms dialed in um, and our COVID lives dialed in. Um, do we need to like take a forced break? I mean, you mentioned vacation. My wife's birthday just passed. And like this time of year, we always took like a really great trip, right? I mean, because I traveled a lot and it's one of the ways that like, you know, I would I'd sort of, in my head at least, make it up. <laughs> you know, we'd go on a nice, a nice vacation. Um, we were in Puerto Rico last year. We were in Mexico the year before. Like, always going to someplace really, really fun and spend some quality time together. Um, we're not doing that this summer, right? And so not only, I mean, you know, I need to make extra effort, right? Uh, you know, to, to just find other times. And, and we do, luckily, and my wife's fine with it. Luckily, my wife medicates as well. Um, and in fact, highly recommended as Jim Belushi does uh, uh, for, for married people. Um, it is, you know, one of the best, best things that my wife and I do together um, is just, and nothing special. We could be watching TV. We're, we're just medicating a little bit together or a little bit more than a little bit, but it's just, you know, it's, it's the end of the day. It's before you go to bed and, and it's just a way that we 
communicated. We've been married over 20 years now, and so that means obviously we met young. We actually met in high school, but um, it, it's just um, not being able to go on vacation, right? Should I like turn my Zoom off for two weeks and, and just block it out and be like, no, every July, you know, I go on vacation for two weeks. And just because the world is, is you know, on Zoom, 24 7 doesn't mean that i can't take a two-week break any thoughts yes. <laughs> I, I do have some thoughts and you don't want to miss anything now it's like everybody is doing zoom like there's some big thing on like some big webinar like you know every couple days now right yeah yeah it's uh, it's funny because i'm like i totally fit in the camp of people who are like this quarantine was a vacation even though <laughs> Even though like I have an events company and I was like doing events and making money on events, I was like, man, I don't have to go to events. I don't have to do events. I, and, and frankly, I very intentionally like isolated myself from, I'm not even going to go on Zooms for other people's stuff. Like, I don't care. You know, I'm going to take this time for me because there might never be a time like this again where, you know, everyone is stuck at home for an extended period of time. And for me, it was like such a great opportunity to, to get the house in order, so to speak. Uh, and I started this podcast, which I love. And so, but, but anyway, my, my thought for you is based on what I'm hearing is, you know, pre COVID in your routine, you would have at least maybe once a week or every other week time on an airplane or twice a week time on an airplane to nap and catch up on rest that you're not no longer getting. Correct. You had a Thursday night, you know, going to Banya, which I love. I love going to Banya. And, you know, one thing I learned, uh, about, you know, maybe a year or so ago, kind of just this is a side note about Banya, is that the, the First Nations people and many Native American tribes have their own kind of uh, sweat lodge type right. experiences. And for them, part of you know, the, the heat and the, the quote unquote suffering of being in the high temperature is part of a purification process of going through that high heat and that suffering. Well, even though it's, you know, to each his own, I, I think it's quite fun, but that's part of the purification and, and renewal. And it sounds like you, you know, you had a very distinct renewal weekly yeah. ceremony. Yeah. So, so now we have two big things that you've indicated that are out of your COVID routine that it sounds and like that ceremony was done with a very good, like one of my best friends, like right. we were doing it together and he's not in Canada. So, I mean, you know, he'll medicate, right. So we, you know, together, but right. Like, but, it, but it wasn't it was it like, I didn't have to talk with him 24 seven about it either. And so like, also we don't see each other now. Right. Every, right. every Thursday night. Right. So now that's, that's three big things that, are, are out of your COVID routine, which it sounds like for the most part, you're replacing with more work. Yeah. And, and so it, w what I'm hearing very clearly is, and what I would recommend to you is, you know, take back your Thursday night or, you know, one night a week at least to, you know, no meetings, no calls, no, no cell phone, whatever. And just for quality time, either, whether that's with friends or by yourself, or even get on a Zoom with people just for fun, mm -hmm. you know, or, or do something for yourself that's gonna be restorative and that's gonna be, you know, without the pressure of having to 
to, to perform in, in that professional capacity. And I think in doing so, you'll actually unlock more energy for, for all the professional uh, pursuits. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm hearing. And also, you know, you could still take a vacation. There's, you know, it's not quite the same, but it's possible. Um, and then just one last thing, which I can relate to this, uh, where like, you know, there's this, this kind of pressure or this story that you've told yourself of, I can't say no to Zoom calls or whatever, because people know, you know, we're quarantined. Like what? But that's kind of bullshit, because the truth is, you're in charge of your time. And it's not only within your rights, right? But it's, you know, I, I, would, I would say beyond that, you have an obligation to yourself to take care of yourself and your health. And if that means saying no to a Zoom call or a webinar or whatever, not, you know, being in every single opportunity, that's okay, right? Like, there's more than enough stuff out there. And I, I, I'm based on what I've heard from you today, it sounds like you're doing a lot more than most people anyway. Like, I, I, I think, you know, taking a few hours off here and there isn't going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you to make some kind of commitment or is there an action that you can take to get some data on this issue of, you know, maybe for the next month, Here's what I've proposed is for the next month, uh, you know, because I think we're still going to be more or less in quarantine. The numbers are coming back up and, you know, yeah. I'm not so optimistic that they're doing a good job out there. But yeah. anyway, um, you know, maybe for the next month, you you take back your Thursday night for something, yeah. you know, a few oh, hours Thursday night. What do I you have think? that hot tub that should be delivered, right, for the backyard any day now. It was supposed to be in time for Father's Day. That's all right, um, but you know we'll, we'll we'll have a delayed you know belated Father's Day chill. But it's uh you know that will help. But yeah, I agree. And even if it doesn't come this week, I mean that's that's a great idea. Just take back Thursday night, turn the phone off for a couple hours, and do anything but right. I mean what I what I would typically be doing. So take that back. Yeah, I could do that. All right, awesome. And what do you think? I'm just curious. Let's say let's let's uh, make believe we're talking a month from now, and you did this. You know, let's say every Thursday night you took some time for yourself to just chill and hang out, relax. What do you think the impact of that would be if you were telling me a month from now, "Hey, Mike, you know, I did it. I took the Thursday nights off. Here's what happened. What what would that sound like?" So I think number one, it would it would be good because it would, like we had discussed earlier, right? It would sort of help me with, I, I want to, you know, do something. I know I want to do something and then I'm actually going to, to do it because I know it's beneficial for me. And just sort of going through that exercise, I think would be empowering. Um, similar to when I knew I needed to, to get more exercise and then, okay, I'm going to start rollerblading more with my dog. And I did that and, and feel better. Right. And, and it's not just the fact that I physically feel better. It's that I think the whole exercise was I'm going to change that. And the fact that I've been doing it now consistently for you know a month and a half, it feels really, really good. And there's that, you know, 20 minutes or so that like 
that's really when I'm not talking about cannabis, you know, because it's to Cali, right? So, um, you know, that I can, I can sort of, you know, parlay that feeling and, and, and into, into how I'm likely going to feel uh, after doing that. I know I'll feel a lot much, you know, especially with that hot tub, my body will feel better. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's also not so much, you hit on something earlier, which, you know, I never really thought so much about, but it's that, the loss of that, you know, it's real, right? Um, even that, the loss of that rebirth, you know, that, that re, you know, just that re-energizing myself, um, in particular, at least for me, in particular on Thursday night, um, I think would have ripple effects good you know positive ripple effects on other on other things so um i think that would be a noticeable change yeah and now i don't know about you but after i go to banya i sleep like a baby oh <laughs> that's when i get some good sleep i'm up early but yeah definitely the quality sleep for sure awesome for sure. awesome yeah. D david what was your biggest insight from our conversation today hmm the biggest insight um it's not just me that, that doesn't, you know, this whole NDA thing. <laughs> it's my pet peeve. <laughs> there are others. Um, no, um, that, yeah, that, that, you know, just talking things out was good, right? Just, you know, sometimes we, you know, the more we talk about things, right, sometimes we have the answers, right? We just need to talk about um, these with somebody that know how to, you know, maybe ask the right questions. Um, and so I, you know, got that today, um, and and had the importance of almost being in. You know, if it sounds weird, but being in charge of my, you know, my off-duty time, and owning that, you know, is okay. <laughs> you know, and and just it's it being accepting the fact that a it's not a marathon, and b it doesn't. You know, it's not being all done by me. I know there's there's thousands literally thousands of fantastic you know maybe hundreds of thousands not maybe there are hundreds of thousands of great people with great um intentions in this industry that are also being excellent stewards um and and so you know i can i can not i don't always have to be in the driver's seat when it comes to that and you know we're we're for the most part, we're in good hands, right? And uh, I, I could be in the passenger seat for a little bit. And whether that means sleeping literally or figuratively, I think allowing myself to do more of that is is okay. And maybe more than okay is beneficial. Awesome. And I, I'll just close out with that's something I, I talk about in the book as well as, you know, self-care. It's often the first thing an entrepreneur will sacrifice for their business. You know, you, there's the logic of if I work more, if I work harder, things will go better in the business. And it, the, the, the step that people often skip is that when you're the operator and when the business depends on your ability or your performance, you know, if you're not taking care of your health, then you're putting the whole business at risk. Because if, if you burn out or if, you know, anything happens because you weren't taking care of your health and giving yourself the breaks or the exercise or the diet or whatever it may be for, for the individual, 
then you're actually jeopardizing the business rather than working harder to, to do better. So, you know, entrepreneurship is tough. Business is tough. You know, certainly combing through thousands of deals to find the right opportunities to build a legitimized and productive industry is tough. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget that, and I, I know I, I, I can totally do this to myself. I have that voice in my head often that's, Mike, you're not working hard enough. Go work harder. What are you doing? You're a slacker. You know, you're gonna, don't be the lazy stoner. You know, but the, the truth of it is, I, and I have to tell myself this often, is like, there's more to life than work. Yeah. And I didn't get into entrepreneurship to be working all the time. Although certainly, like, like you said, often the work feels fun. And so it's like, hey, why not work more? The reality is, though, that, you know, all work and no play, that's not homeostasis. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, to anyone listening, take care of yourself. You deserve it, especially if you're working hard, especially if you're pushing yourself. You got to take care of yourself. That's going to allow you to, to be more and to give more. And so don't, don't neglect that step. And it's easy to neglect. So you got to watch it. You got to, you have to be intentional about scheduling that recharge time because it's so easy to, to just say yes to, you know, every other demand on your time and forget to say yes to the core basic maintenance, if you will. So exactly. Yeah. David. Thank you so much, man. I try. I try. Every, every now and then I'm good for something. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate it. David, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and you, being able to share your story and your insights and wisdom. And I just want to encourage you to keep up the good work and uh, send my regards to Asher. Well, we got to get him in here soon too and put him on the hot seat. I would love that. Definitely. We'd love to see that. <laughs> awesome. David, thank you so much, man. Be well. And hopefully in the near future, I'll see you at Banya once that's, uh, once that's, that's safe. A that's a date. <laughs> awesome, man. Be well, brother. Thank you very much. You too. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.